in the New Testament, God gives us the authority to rebuke the devourer. The Bible says you've been given all authority in Christ that is in heaven and earth. Okay? God doesn't have to do something for your sake that He's already given you the ability to do. In the Old Testament, they needed God to do something for their sake. Okay? Now, you have the authority to do it. So, if poverty tries to knock on your door, you say, stop right there. Go. This house is blessed. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. How many of you believe you can have faith for other people's healing? How many of you believe that? Alright, so you believe that you can use your faith for someone else's health. Okay? Once you can get, once you grow this muscle of finance, you can even have faith for other people's finances. I have faith for you, that you will prosper and be in good health in every way in Jesus' name. And that no plan of the enemy will befall you. And that every weapon formed against you will fail. And that you will prosper all the time because your hands are the hands through which abundance flows to the kingdom for the advancement of the kingdom and the establishment of God's covenant on the earth. That's who you are. Amen? Now, I largely just agreed with the Bible. Which is really all that most prayer is, isn't it? Okay, does it make sense? Now, tithing should be done. In other words, it was never, I never told you that it shouldn't be done. I just said it shouldn't be done in a legalistic way. Do you see that? Okay? Okay. So, it says here in Matthew 23, 23 to 25. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe and mint and anise and cumin, and you have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. So what Jesus considered weightier, what did he consider weightier? Judgment, mercy, and faith. But you shouldn't have done them and not the others. You should do both. Do you see that? All right. You blind guides, which strain a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. But woe unto you, this is Luke eleven forty two. But woe unto you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, and pass over judgment and love and the love of God. These ought you to have done, and not to leave the others undone. So you can see, this is what Jesus said. He said that you should have done this, and you should still do the others. Now, remember, yes, he is still speaking to people under the Old Testament, and it is right that they should do it. But it was right for Abraham to do it to Melchizedek. Wasn't it? Was it good for him to do that? Did Abraham need a law to do that? He did it because it was right to do. It was a good thing to do, right? So 
it's, it's, you don't need a law to tell you what's good. You know what's good. You know it's not good to lie. Instinctively, you know. Okay? You know it's not good to murder. Right? When someone gets murdered, you don't like it. Okay? Does it make sense? So it's not something you need to have a law for. But in the Old Testament, people needed the law to be their schoolmaster. In the New Testament, we no longer live according to the beggarly elements of this world. Deuteronomy 26, 8 to 13. And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terribleness and with signs and wonders. And he has brought us into this place and he has given us this land, even a land that flows with milk and honey. And now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which thou, O Lord, hast given me. And thou shalt set it before the Lord God and worship before the Lord thy God. And thou shalt rejoice in every good thing which the Lord God has given unto thee and unto thine house, thou and the Levite and the stranger that is among you. So this is about rejoicing, right? Celebration. When thou hast made an end of tithing, how do you make an end of tithing? The end of the celebration. All the tithes of thine increase, the third year, which is the year of tithing, so it's every three years, right? And he has given it unto the Levite, the stranger and the fatherless, and the widow, that they may eat within the gates and be filled. So God made sure that there was a law to look after the widows, the orphans, and the alien, right? And the poor. Right? So he made sure that the law looked after them so that people would have to look after them. They didn't have a choice. Do you see that? But you have a choice. What kind of steward are you going to be? Now, is this a good principle, a good guideline? Of course. Just like it's good advice for someone to tell you, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Isn't it right? If someone's put poison in the Kool-Aid and someone says, it's, it's poisoned, don't drink it. Is it good advice? It's good advice, right? He didn't need to write, thou shalt not drink the Kool-Aid. Does it, do you understand? It's good advice because it's good to warn someone about danger and something that could kill them. And it comes out of love for somebody to protect them. Okay? Does that make sense? So yeah, God's love for the widow, the orphan, the alien, the stranger, the, the poor, God's love for them, He has made sure that His people as a people will provide for them. Do you see that? Okay? And so, that principle should carry over into the New Testament. Right? We should be a people that want to take care of them. Isn't that right? Go to Galatians uh, 2, 5. No, no, 4, sorry. 2, 4. Galatians 2, 4. And Paul is busy giving a testimony about um, something that happened during this whole thing with having to be circumcised and all that, okay? So he's talking about... Okay, so Galatians 2, 4. Yet, because of false brethren secretly brought in, 
who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Caiaphas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, and that we should go to the Gentiles and that they would go to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Do you see that? <coughs> it was a natural response. The church, if you read in Acts, we could go there, you'll find out that they put deacons in place to serve the widows and the orphans. Okay? <coughs> How many of you have thought it would be so amazing if we could just do it like they did it in the beginning? Like in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came out down and everyone was filled with the Holy Ghost. How many of you would like to, to just, you know, go back to the original pattern? Okay. Okay, so listen. Now, if you want that, what we need to do next month is I want you to all deposit your salaries into a central bank account. And then you need to make a list of your whole budget. And then we will equally distribute as you need to you what you need. And whatever is left we'll use for the advancement of the kingdom. Because that's what they did in Acts. They sold everything. They brought it to the feet of the apostles, and the apostles distributed it as they saw fit. Now you know why it's not like it was in Acts. Isn't it right? Now you know why it's not like it was in Acts. Because today, it's my money. Not God's money. My money. The minute you think it's your money, you're in trouble. The devil can't steal from God, but he can steal from you. If it's God's money, he can't touch it. Alright? Does it make sense? Alright. Okay. Leviticus 27, 30-32. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. Now, is it all the Lord's? So this is only a shadow of everything. Isn't that right? And if a man will at all redeem aught of his tithes, he shall add thereto a fifth part thereof. In other words, if you don't pay your tithes, you need to pay back more in interest. This is what's happening under the law. So if you really want to go live under the law, that's how you're going to do it, okay? And concerning the tithe, of the herd or the flock, even whatsoever passeth under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. Okay? So I'm just showing you the Old Testament pattern of the tithe. Okay? And this is how it was done. So immediately, you know, um, there are some serious problems with how we are doing things right now. In, even in the church as the tithe. 
Doesn't quite work the same, does it? Numbers 18, 26 to 29. Thus speak unto the Levites and say unto them, When you take off the children of Israel the tithe, which I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall offer up and have offering of it for the Lord, even a tenth part of the tithe. So the priests were to take 10% of the 10%, and they were to offer that to God. So even the minister is meant to tithe. So no one's absconded. And you don't tithe to your own ministry. You tithe. It's like, I'm going to tithe. <laughs> well, it passed hands, right? I didn't know what my left hand was doing. <laughs> That's not what happens. You must find other places to give to. Now, you know, I'm always upgrading this thing to, get, to giving, generous giving. I'm always upgrading it. The reason is because, for me, it's not just about 10%. Okay? It's about everything. God owns me. He owns my time. He owns my family. You know, some people will say, you know, Mark, um, you've got to remember there's a hierarchy and a structure of uh, priorities. You know, there's God, then there's your family. Most people say work, then your family, <laughs> right? There's, there's your family, then there's work, then there's your friends and your social life. And, you know, th- so you've got to, like, prioritize. It's first this, then that. This. I say, no, that's not, that's not how it works. And they're like, what do you mean? Of course that's how it works. No, it's first God in my family. It's first God in my business. It's first God in my friendships. It's first God in everything I do. It's not first God and then this and then this and then this. No, it's first God in everything that I do. Why? Because I am His and He is mine and we are one. And we are not separate. So I don't do anything apart from Him. I'm always with Him. He's always with me. Where I go, He goes. Sometimes I drag him around places. He just digs hanging out with me. What can I say? He thought it was rather expensive. He was willing to pay the highest price for me. He reckons I was worth it. Maybe it's about time I believe it. Right? It's not, hum- it's not humbleness to downplay what Jesus said about you. True humility acknowledges the truth about what God says. False humility always underplays it. Do you know when you're... Um, have you ever heard someone be so humble that they're proud of it? Right? Oh, I'm just so humble. Yeah, right. <laughs> Come on, man. You know what I'm talking about. It's called false humility. Humility means to consider yourself as you ought. That means as you should, for people who don't know um, ancient English. Um, so you, you need to understand that you are what God says you are. And to think of yourself no more than you should according to God's standard. So does God call you righteous? Then you know you're righteous. You don't say, oh, I'm just a sinner. No, you stop being a sinner the day you got saved. You, got, you became righteous. The cross was a place where you transitioned from sinner to son. To the sinner, it's hope of freedom. 
to the sun, it's a reminder of glory. Are you with me? It's like there's a transition. You don't stay there. Remember, it says, we, but we are nailed with him on that tree. We are buried with him into that grave. We are resurrected with him into a new way of life. So that just as he serves, we serve also. So is that true? Then if Jesus is our high priest and he is after the order of Melchizedek, then are we not also priests after the order of Melchizedek? Are you a priest? So when you go and bless somebody, when you bless somebody, you bless them like Melchizedek blessed Abraham. You have the power to bless somebody. That's why the Bible says, bless and do not curse. Because if you curse, you have the power to curse somebody. The only way you don't get to curse them is if they're a believer and they put trust in God. Then, you, you know, you can't curse them. So in the power of your words, the problem is most Christians are not even using the power of their words to curse other people. They're using it to curse themselves. <laughs> they're their own worst enemy. They believe whatever the devil puts in here. Oh, I'm not going to make it. Yep, you're not going to make it. Oh, I don't know how long I can do this. Yeah, I don't know how long you can do this. <laughs> oh, I'm just agreeing with the devil. Yeah, you're agreeing with the devil. <laughs> but the way that a man thinks seems right to him, but the end of it is death. You understand what I'm saying to you? <laughs> like, don't be your own worst enemy. Make sure that what comes out of here is life. Don't speak death. We, we talk about this in healing. You know, for years, people talk bad about their bodies, and their bodies are a train wreck. Then they start learning about healing, and now they start speaking, you know, truth about their body, and their body is such a train wreck, it's still trying to catch up. And they go, why is this not working? <laughs> yeah, because you were, you were so diligent at saying the wrong stuff. You're very bad at saying the good stuff. Why? Because it's easier to believe the negative, because we're so schooled in believing the negative. But we serve a God who calls those things that are not as if they are. Why? Because He looks beyond the now to the always. Come on. God lives in the always. Right? So if He lives in the eternity, right, where everything, everything in heaven is established, it's done. So if you live in the now where you're absent of the promise that's made available from heaven, then it just takes a matter of enforcing that promise on earth in order to see a change, in order to see a shift. But now, so you begin to make your stand, and then things don't go the way you want, and then you just back off. I mean, I could have, a, I could have someone share a testimony where they wanted to back off, and everybody wanted them to back off, and they didn't back off, and they were even a little bit they felt a little bit cross and rude to the people to, to force them to back off from her because <laughs> they need to back off. We're staying in faith. And that person is completely healed because they didn't back off. And they're right. But how many opportunities were there to back off? Every second of every day. And it, only would, have, it would have taken only once backing off. For that person to die and it to be over. It's the truth. The devil doesn't need much time. He just needs you to back off. That's all. When you back off, boom, he's in. 
Because he wants to destroy your witness. He wants to destroy your testimony. He does. And I'm not saying it's about a testimony, but, you know, we overcame him how? By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. And we did not love our lives even unto death. So the word of your testimony is powerful. Why? Because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Does it make sense? He'll do it again and again and again. Why? Because it's already done. Okay. Let's go to Deuteronomy 12, 17. It says, They might not eat within the gates the tithes of the corn, or of thy wine, or thy oil, or the firstlings of thy herds, of thy flock, nor any of thy vows which thou vowest, nor thy freewill offerings, nor the heave offering of thy hand. But thou must eat them before the Lord thy God in the place where the Lord thy God shall choose. Thou shall what? You shall what? Eat them. What eat? What are you eating? Oh my goodness. Here's the tithe. You shall not eat it in the gate. You will eat it before the Lord. But thou must eat them before the Lord thy God in the place where the Lord thy God shall choose. Thou and thy sons and thy daughters and thy manservants and thy maidservants and the Levite that is within the gates. And thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God in all that thou puttest to thine hand unto. Take heed to thyselves that thou forsake not the Levites as long as thou livest upon the earth. Well, that's a new spin on it. Right? Deuteronomy 14, 22 to 28. Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed, that thy field bringeth forth year by year. And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there. The tithe of the corn, the wine, the oil, the fleshlings of the herds and the flocks, thou shalt mayest, sorry, that, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. So it's about remembering God. You see that? So why do they do it? To remember God. And if thy way be too long for thee, in other words, if it's too far away for you, so that thou art not able to carry it, or if the place be too far from thee, which the Lord thy God shall choose to set his name there, when the Lord thy God has blessed thee, then thou shalt turn it into money. Okay? So the whole idea that you can't tithe technically because you're not a farmer or whatever nonsense people come up with, it's not true, okay? Then you shall turn it into money, all right? And bind up the money in thy hand. Hold it. Don't let it go, right? And thou shalt go into the place where the Lord God shall choose, and thou shalt bestow the money for whatever your soul lusteth after. So whatever you desire... <laughs> That's what, the, that's what it says. I read what it says. Okay, so for oxen, or for sheep, or for wine, or for strong drink. Or for whatever thou soul, desi soul desireth. And thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice Thou and thine household. We are talking about the tithe here, just to clarify. And the Levites that is in within thy gates, thou shalt not forsake him, 
for he has no part nor inheritance with thee. At the end of the three years, thou shalt bring forth all the tithes of thy increase, and the same year thou shalt lay it up within the gates. So, it would work in a cycle that after every so many years, they would just give the tithe. They wouldn't have the party because the Levi needs to have food and sustenance and all that. So they would store it up and then they would have the party again. Are you with me? So they kept having this party. The tithe was a party, man. It was. I mean, come on. Like, I mean, <laughs> when you go to a party, <laughs> if you've never been to one, okay, there's a lot of good food. <laughs> there's often strong drink. And people are rejoicing. And they're happy. Right? Am I wrong? Am I the only one who knows what a party looks like? No. Clearly not. You all know what I'm talking about. Just trying to be spiritual. I get it. Okay. So, so here's the reality. Okay. This here describes what God told him to do. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> for, for the tithe. Are we doing this in the church? Okay. At the end of three years, you shall bring forth all the tithe of thine increase the same year, and you shall lay it up within the gates. When thou hast made an end of tithing all the tithes of thine increase that year, which is the year of tithing, and hast given it unto the Levi, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and they may eat within the gates and be filled. Once again, they eat it. Now, imagine, guys. Yeah, they have this party where they bring 10% together. In Acts, they have a party where they bring everything together. Isn't that right? So in, in the law, it's like 10% just so you make sure you don't forget God. Right? In Acts, it's like, how can we forget God? <laughs> it's 100%. Does this make sense to you? you? You should be feeling very abundant right now. Okay? Now, have you ever, ever felt abundant after someone's spoken about the tithe? I mean, <laughs> so this is a good thing. The, the tithe is never meant to be a bad thing, but we've connected this negativity to it because of, you know, of largely just manipulation that's been going on in the church. Because the bottom line is cash flow. You need cash flow, so you use what you can to get cash flow. And I'm not running guys down. I understand it's difficult to run churches. And if you're a minister, I'm not trying to run anything down. What I'm saying is, there is a better way. God wants us to be way more generous. We shouldn't be relying on 10%. You know that most of the church doesn't even pay their tithe? Under the law? Under all the manipulation? And what if we empowered people with the truth that they would want to give abundantly? That's why I told you guys the other night. I said, prove me right. I would rather live this way than the other way. Wouldn't you? Isn't it better to rather be an abundant flow of life and provision to others than to be under some system where you're forced to give a certain amount out of, you know, legalistic structure. And if you don't, there's going to be some radical godfather curse that comes your way. Right? Isn't that better to be abundant? Okay, and you can see here that the goal of the tithe was to look after the widow, the orphan, etc. And you can see that Paul's goal was to look after the poor and the needy and the widow and the orphan. And you can see in the book of Acts, when the money came in, what was the, one of the first things they did? They'd look after the widows and the orphans. 
Right? So it's always there. The church's job is to look after the poor, not the government. The church should be the government. Not like, you know, you get what I'm saying. We are the spiritual government. We should allow or disallow things. What you decree, God backs up. I think we have labored the point of tithing. So does this make sense to you? There are many other scriptures you can go read on tithing. It's just pretty much more of different similarities and stuff like that. We're going to end off with Luke 18, 9 to 14. Okay? And he spoke this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Okay? Two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other one was a publican. In other words, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even tax collectors. The guy's there. (laughs) That's hectic, isn't it? I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all my possessions. And the publican, the tax collector, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. You see, the one guy here believed he could earn his righteousness with God. The other one just completely depended on God's mercy. And Jesus said, the guy who depended on God's mercy, that's the one that was justified. Not the one who depended on all his good deeds and his piety and all that rubbish. Are you with me? You can't depend on that stuff. You must depend on him. He's more than enough. And when you realize that he's more than enough, you will always have more than enough to give for every good work according to his riches and glory. According to his riches. Not according to yours. According to his because his have become yours. If God freely gave us his son, he will give us everything else. I've said this, I know, in the last couple of evening sessions, I've I've reminded you that Jesus was the most expensive thing God could give. He gave himself. There was nothing more expensive. Some people have said it this way, that God bankrupt heaven for you. And it's true. Because there is, if God gave you his son, why would he not give you all things with him? It's in Romans 8.32. It says, He that spareth not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Notice, freely give us all things. Does it say, note that he, does it say that with him also perhaps give us all things if we pay our tithes? It doesn't say that, does it? Does it say some things? 
Everything but tithes. Everything but money. Does it exclude money? Doesn't exclude money, does it? So it's it's God is not putting this law requirement on people in the New Testament. If you want to know someone's heart, all you have to do is take away every restriction. And what they naturally do is who they are. If I, if I told you, okay, there is no law, right? If I said there are no laws, no rules, go drive, do as you wish, all right? Then your nature would be displayed. Your true nature, who you really are, would be displayed by how you drive, how you act, what you do to other people. Isn't that right? The reason we have rules is because not everyone has a good nature. So we need, we need rules to keep people natured. The problem is these days, someone will cut someone off and then have a hip-hop disco party for the devil in their car because someone else cut them off. It's like, oh, you've never done that, right? It's, it's silly. I'm using this as an example because we're in traffic every day. So it's a fresh memory. <laughs> okay? It's not something that you, you can avoid unless you decide to work from home, which is not necessarily a bad idea. Okay? Does it make sense what I'm saying? <clears throat> All right. Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is his what? Okay. So he gave you the kingdom. Did he say, maybe you can have the kingdom? The only requirement for having the kingdom is for believing. Isn't that right? Putting your trust in Jesus. That's it. The only requirement. Romans 12, 20. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he thirsts, give him something to drink. For in so doing... Thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. People who are your enemies generally don't like it when you're nice to them. <laughs> really, I've tried. Um, be not overcome, sorry, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So how do we overcome evil? With good. We don't overcome evil with evil. How many of you have heard the saying, you don't fight fire with fire? Okay. I know. You fight, you fight it with water, right? Right, and, unless it's like a metal fire. Was that, was that one metal? That, um, phosphorus. Yeah, you don't want to fight that with water. That's not good. Use um, a dirt. <laughs> That's why it's a bad idea to build ships out of that stuff. Which they did. <laughs> Do you know about that? They built ships out of um, an alloy. That You know those sharpeners? You know your sharpeners? Okay. Um, they will combust. Right? They are combustible because they're made out of that same alloy. And they made ships out of that alloy. And they never informed the skippers on deck that this alloy is combustible. So a fire broke, broke out. And they did exactly the thing that feeds the combustion. They put water on it. Well, it's in the sea. So. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it was disastrous. Bad idea. Bad, bad idea. Okay. So, if this is how God commands us to treat our enemies, 
then how does he treat his family? If God says that we should overcome evil with good, then if that's how we treat our enemies, how would he treat his family? Does it make sense? Like, I mean, we just it's just a plain, really good question. Like, if God would treat his enemies this way, then he would treat his friends and his family even better, right? Matthew 5, 43 to 48. You have heard that it is said, that you love your neighbor and you shall hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless those that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despisefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. And uh, you guys know the rest of that one, because I read it yesterday. For if you love them which love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. But you, therefore, be perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Okay? Psalm 103, 8 to 13. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plentiful in mercy. He will not always side, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Fearing the Lord is basically having respect for God. In other words, if you have a, if you have a concern of God's judgment of you, and you... You, know, you want him to have a good judgment of you, in other words, then you fear what he thinks about you. you. Are you with me? What's the fear of man? The fear of man is what other people think of you, right? Well, the fear of God is what God thinks of you. Does it make sense? So if every action you took, you did with the fear of God, then you would take it fearing what God would think about you in what you were thinking and doing. That's what the fear of God means. That's what the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why? Because once you... Fear the Lord, and, you're, and you have this concern that whatever you do, you want to make sure that He's happy with what you're doing. It, that's where wisdom starts. Because now you, you're being wise. Because God's going to back you up when you are concerned about what He thinks about what you're doing. Right? Yeah, it is awesome. It's not this, oh, I'm scared of God. That's not what it's talking about. It's, it's an awe and a respect for Him. Even when it says, um, now therefore work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not talking about fear and trembling like being afraid. It's working out your salvation. In other words, you can't, how many of you know you can't work something out you don't already have? Okay, so it's not earning your salvation. It's what you have. Working it out. In other words, allowing that which God has given you to become part of who you are. Right? Working it out in fear and trembling. In other words, working it out in awe and respect for God greater than for what anyone else thinks. In other words, you want to impress, not impress, you want to please Him. You want His soul to take pleasure in your life. Right? Does it make sense? Amen. Now, how many of you have got children? Do your children always please you? Do you always love them? So your love for them and your pleasure of them is not the same thing. 
Many people think that just because God loves them, that He's always pleased with you. He's not. Sometimes you can act in a way that He's not pleased. Do you understand? He loves you just like you, just like you love your children and you want best for them, but you're not always pleased with them. The two don't need to be connected. We've connected them. They don't have to be. And so God loves you. And the Bible says, I, I am convinced that nothing will separate us from the love of God. Not, you know, not height, not depth, not demons, not angels, nor anything present or past. Are you, are you with me? Or things to come. But, right? You understand what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, it's important that we realize that we can be pleasing to God or we can be unpleasing to God, even though He still loves us. Because remember, He loved you even when you were a sinner. It's important that we get this, okay? Because otherwise, what ends up happening is we live our lives worried about what other people think. Well, we shouldn't be worried about what other people think. We should be highly concerned about what God thinks. And when you make your concern what God thinks, you will be very wise. I promise. It's just the way it is. Amen. Do you guys get something out of this? Okay, so the tithe, just to summarize... The tithe is something that you should do, but it's not the same as what it was under the Old Testament. Does it make sense? In other words, look, the way I, I really articulate this is, if you're not at least doing the tithe, then where are you? Where's your heart? God so loved the world that He gave His Son. Well, if you so love God, then should you give something back to, to the gospel, to get the gospel out there? You know, it shouldn't be a, it should be a no-brainer. Does it make sense? Love gives. You are love. And we're going to get to some of that. But that's... <laughs> I want to jump ahead of myself. So, <laughs> does it make sense? So the tithe is just something you do because it's a beginning point. It's a starting point. Are you with me? Now, I'm going to say this to you, alright? If you have... Nothing to give. Trust God that He will give you so you can give. Okay? So write down your needs and write down how much you'd want to give. Alright? And then say, Father, you know what I need. This is what I need. This is what I've purposed to do. Okay? And I'm going to trust you for this. And then begin to trust Him for it. And when that comes in, honor it. Give it. And now you'll start the cycle of giving. Most people, I've been to churches where they will pray only to bless those who have given. I refuse to do that. They will say, bless the people who have given. Right? And I'm like, okay, so what you're doing is, if there's 10 people and they've given, now you've pr pronounced the blessing on them that... They will get increased. Okay, that's great. They're going to get increased. They're going to give you again. Then you complain because the other 20 people that didn't give aren't giving. And you never blessed them. With Melchizedek, what came first? The tenth or the blessing? It's a no-brainer. You bless them. Then you empower them. To give. But if they don't give, they rob themselves of being the river through which God can bring abundance to others. You see, so <clears throat> there is a 
There is something that you need to learn in growing in this area that giving can only teach you. It's just like when you pray for the sick, you only learn about praying for the sick when you do it, when you actually give it away. There's a dynamic involved. And so it's the same with finances. Amen? Okay, well, I think you guys are blessed now.